Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. We began a couple weeks ago a brief series, a short series, that I'm calling The Unassembled Life of Faith. And as I explained, what I mean by that is, as I've already referenced a couple times here this morning, this is the assembly. The church is the assembly. We come together and we know, we're starting to really know what this is supposed to look like when we come together as the body of Christ, as a local church. But the fact is, we live most of our lives not assembled with one another. And it's important to understand what our faith walk, what our life of faith is supposed to look like outside the four walls of the church. And I want to stop right there and encourage you, because the assembly is so important, let's do what we can to shorten the time between the times when we are assembled. So what I mean by that is... uh, Get in a small group, if it is at all possible, if it works with your schedule in any way, it's super important to belong to a small group. Uh, Attend special meetings. When Bob Yandian is here in a couple weeks, make plans to be here that night. It'll be fun. Uh, You know, he's an absolute uh, legend in Rama Circle, so I would expect that we would have several visitors from uh, Rama-connected churches that that are within driving distance Sunday night. Bless you. And... Uh, plan on, uh, make, a, make an effort to get to uh, prayer meetings, come to a Monday night, come to a Saturday morning, even if you can just do it occasionally, do what we can to shorten that time between gatherings, between the assembly. There is power, there's a particular joy, a particular blessing, and an operation of the spiritual gifts when we assemble. And It's been a while since we referenced this passage, but you all know it. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 24, says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. It's not just a matter of, and it is, it's, it's... if we see the day approaching, what day? The end, the, the return of the king, right? Uh, and you know, simple look at that verse says, look, the closer we get to that, the more you need to get together. It's not just a matter of taking it more seriously. It's get together more often, if at all possible. But again, look at verse 24. Let us consider one another. This isn't just about, well, I think I'm okay. I'm not afraid of, uh, I'm, I'm ready, you know, I'm prayed up, I'm stirred up. Uh, I really don't need to get together any more often than, than, uh, than, than I already am. No, you're supposed to consider one another. What if my presence in the assembly means something more to you than it means to me, right? Get our minds off of ourselves. I get it. Many of you, perhaps, certainly some of you, simply can't make it any more often for one reason or another. I'm just saying, first of all, that there should be something in you that desires to get together as often as we can. And, that, and then, if you can, you should. 
sometimes when we're together, like here, in the middle of a meeting, in the middle of a gathering, I'm like, this is good. I want to get together as soon as possible. I want to do this again. And then when the next opportunity rolls around, it's like, eh, really don't feel like going. You know, you might be sitting here on Sunday morning when Pastor Bob's here, uh, and you might be, I don't know what he's speaking about. I can just tell you there were times, I can't count the number of times, I would sit there in my seat at church with my mouth just open, tears running down my face because of the richness of the word. And you might be hearing that. You might be experiencing the same thing, and you're like, wow, I can't wait till tonight. And then you leave church, and you go home, you eat a big meal, and you go home, and uh, you, uh, you take a nap. I'm just telling you what my Sundays generally look like. And then 5.30, 6 o'clock rolls around, you're like, oh, man, it's already dark. It's getting cold. I don't feel like going out. Don't feel like going back. Now, where do you think that's coming from? I'm not saying it's necessarily the devil, but if it's the God if it's God or the devil, who do you think it is? All right? Uh, and it's, it, it's probably just the flesh. But you don't listen to the voice of the flesh either, right? It's good to be in the assembly. Anyway, shorten the time between assemblies when you, if you can. Uh, and then, yet there's still, even if that, even if you go to Sunday morning church, Sunday night special meeting, Monday night prayer, small groups throughout the week, uh, there's still a lot of day-to-day when we're not gathered with one another. And I say all this, by the way, to stir you up by way of reminder. And next week, as we wrap up this mini-series, we'll be looking at a couple of passages in 2 Peter. 2 Peter is only three chapters long, so if you want to read through it a couple times as homework, it's a good idea. But as you do, notice the emphasis that Peter places on steadfastness, stability. He warns that some are going to give up to go from believing to scoffing. And he offers an eternal perspective on the stuff that goes on around us. I mention that because in this short letter, this three chapters letter, he says uh, at least twice, I say these things uh, to stir you up by way of reminder. In other words, this is it. Uh, This is his last letter. He's he's saying, I'm not going to be around much longer. So I had to decide what's really important. And I'm not laying any new doctrine on you. There's nothing, nothing you haven't heard. But these are the things that I want to remind you of before my departure. And as we will see next week, above everything else in terms of importance is the word of God. Meanwhile, let's look at another famous passage. This is in Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. After the death of Moses, I know you can read it on the screen, but if you brought a Bible, open it. Open it to Joshua chapter 1 and begin reading in verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, start bringing a Bible. It really makes a difference. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. 
As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, practically, this whole passage is worth memorizing. Uh, and unfortunately, some people might like to latch on to verse 9 and hang their hats on that. That's, and that's a pretty good promise, isn't it? I mean, that's not a bad one to have up on your refrigerator or something where you can see it from time to time. If I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is wherever you go. And certainly the Lord repeats that idea throughout this short passage. I'll be with you. I'm not going to leave you. Be strong. Be courageous. And all of that is good, but there's a parallel emphasis also running all the way through this passage. And it's this, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in the law. Don't turn from it. Meditate in it, on it, day and night. And let's start with this because it's pretty fresh in our minds. I did my best to make an important point about the gifts of the Spirit a few times during our most recent series. And that is, and I think I even mentioned this last week. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did because we had uh, uh, several people operating in the gifts of the Spirit uh, during, some, uh, during time of ministry. I didn't get to preach last week. But the point is this, we don't get bonus points, we don't get a pat on the back, we don't get a reward in heaven for believing in the gifts of the Spirit, for believing the right things. And it does us no practical good here or in eternity to believe the right things if they have absolutely no effect on how we worship and how we live. I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. I believe the Holy Spirit desires desires to be active and powerful in our midst just as much today as he did in the early church. But believing that does me no good, and it does you no good, unless I am actively pursuing being used in those gifts. And you are actively pursuing and desiring to be used in those gifts. Uh, I believe that praying in tongues builds me up, just as, it, just as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That doesn't help me. I will not be edified. I will not be built up one bit by believing in praying in tongues. It's only if I pray in tongues, right? Now, God is saying to Joshua and ultimately to all the people, I have a good plan for you. This is the land that I promised. Who did he promise it to? Abraham originally. Now, here we are, 400 plus years later, and Abraham's, Abraham's descendants are getting ready to go into this land. He has given them the law, he's introduced himself, and he's saying, he's reminding them, what's going to happen when you get in this land? I'm going to prosper you. He has this plan, and we look back, and we know that this plan, the original thing that God said to Abraham, and the unfolding of this plan is ultimately about what? Bringing Messiah. 
he was using the people of Israel to bring Jesus to the world because that's what we needed, a Savior, a Messiah. But he's saying, it's not just the ultimate goodness of my plan. Everything between here and the ultimate unfolding of my plan is going to be good for you if you follow the law that I gave Moses. So here it is. Here is my way. The good news is that if you do it, it's not just that you're going to go to heaven. It's your way on the way there. I will make your way prosperous. You will make your way prosperous if you obey me, if you do it. You'll have good success if you do it. But guess what? You can't do it if you don't know it. And you can't know it if you don't read it, study it, and meditate on it. Now that sounds incredibly simple. It sounds very straightforward, but don't you realize that the problem with the vast majority of Israelites over the next several hundred years is that they knew next to nothing about the law. There were certain things they did at certain times. Sometimes they would keep certain feasts. But that usually went by the wayside after uh, a few years of a bad king. They'd stop keeping the Passover and so forth. They usually did some kind of sacrifice now and then, but they'd lost all respect and all connection with the meanings behind everything that God had commanded them to do. There might be some tickets they punched from time to time, but this was not a strong and vital relationship. They failed to instill a proper appreciation uh, for the truths that were embedded in these practices uh, for the next generation and the next generation. And in practically no time, they were either just going through the motions or not doing them at all, not keeping the law. Now, there's a little bit of a parallel here in America, don't you think? I share the belief with most of you that this nation was founded on Christian principles and that robust, real Christian worship was the source of American strength. And there's a whole lot of world history <laughs> that I'm not qualified to lecture on, but I'm familiar enough with to say this, that other nations tried to imitate us, tried to follow our example, but leave God out of the equation, like France. Oh, look at that revolution, and look how great they're doing. Let's do that too, but let's just leave this Christianity out of it. It's not, it's not always a good result. And I'm not saying that America was ever perfect or that we were ever entirely united in belief, but Christianity absolutely was woven into the fabric of our society. And yes, there were always godless people, and even those who called themselves Christians committed errors of judgment and action. But we were, if not officially, then certainly for all practical purposes, a Christian nation from, from, from the get-go. And by the time the late 1950s rolled around, uh, or even the early 1950s, we were, we were rolling. I mean, we were prosperous. This is when the quote-unquote greatest generation had come home from World War II and started building and, and the industry and everything. And by the way, you've probably heard this before, but uh, you know, when we say great, I can't remember who the minister was who said this years ago. But he says he cringes when he hears ministers or Christians refer to the greatest generation 
as that, you know, that World War II, the Depression, World War II, and immediate post-World War II. He says, they were great. They did great things. But if you say they were the greatest generation, you're telling the next generation that the best you can ever be is second best. Maybe we can say they were the greatest generation so far by believing for better things. It's hard to believe for better things sometimes. But anyway... What happened was uh, America, you know, the expanding middle class, growing prosperity, uh, and, and what, and you've heard me whine about this before, it, it came too close, it, it was like for a while there that to be a Christian in America was indistinguishable from being an American in America. You know what I mean? Why do we go to church on Sundays? Because that's what decent, hardworking Americans do. We go to church on Sundays. I remember reading in a book a character who was, uh, going off on some religious uh, zealot and a reporter asking him, but aren't you a Christian too? He says, yes, of course I am, but I've got the decency to keep it in church. So by and large, no real fire in the pulpits, no sense that God was our only hope, no way, not with that bootstrap mentality and look what we did. And yet a definite feeling that God was on our side. And I know I'm painting with a really broad brush here. Because in the middle of all this, a slide towards secularism, there were amazing revivals, great moves of God, right throughout every bit of that. As long as there was somebody who was truly spiritually hungry. But the general trend among the growing middle class was this, again, this bootstrap mentality, not any sense of need for God, and uh, just we're fine. We are glad that God has blessed us, and why wouldn't he? Because after all, we're good people, good hardworking people. I only point this out because when we look at the moral decline that took place in the 60s and 70s, it's much easier to blame somebody like Madeline Murray O'Hare and her campaign to end uh, prayer in public schools and say, well, that's why, that's how, that's why the country started going to hell, because of Madeleine Murray O'Hare, and the, and the communists, and the hippies, and the outspoken atheists. When really, what the problem was, is we had a generation growing up in the 50s and 60s, and then the 70s, who found church boring, unnecessary, and powerless to where what we had was what one of my favorite historians calls a thin veneer of Christianity. Madeline Murray O'Hare, the hippies, the communists, rock and roll, whatever, none of those things have the power to weaken or destroy a church that teaches the scriptures or families that meditate in the scriptures. The children saw this power, powerlessness and this meaninglessness, and this lack of connection between church and real life, the assembly and disassembly. And they were looking for something more meaningful. So they started looking in places outside the church. And once they began to look, the devil obliged them with all sorts of things to get involved in. Then what's really wonderful about that is, the silver lining, I guess, is that many, many thousands of these young people who had turned uh, to things like Eastern mysticism and, of course, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Um, 
they were honest enough to admit that those things left them feeling even more empty. They were still searching. And God used things like the Jesus People Movement and Calvary Chapel. Uh, there's, in fact, there's a movie about that coming, coming out in February that actually looks pretty good about the Jesus Movement. But you know, this is where the contemporary Christian music started. All these hippies who were bold enough to say, we're looking for something. And then they, you know, the whole tune in, turn on, drop out. And they took that literally, dropped out of society and started uh, experimenting with all sorts of things. And some of them remained lost. But again, many of them are like, this isn't doing it. There has to be more. And Jesus uh, became very, very real to tens of thousands of these young people that started a whole movement and, and revitalized churches, not just across America, but around the world. You know, Blaise Pascal famously wrote that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. And so I thank God for those people who were in the midst of that movement looking at a bunch of empty people who were trying to fill that vacuum with everything else, but who were bold enough to share with these people, here is the only thing that is going to satisfy you. And it's not a thing, it's Jesus Christ. Now, all of that, all of everything I've just said, is just to set the stage for what really applies to us. Because I'm not addressing churchgoers in the 1950s. I am speaking today to spirit-filled believers in 2022. And I shared all that to say, don't be deceived. Just because you have come to know and experience something, you are not immune to falling away. We can get lazy too. Think about what those Israelites saw. These people, God is speaking to Joshua, who is now taking over as the leader of Israel. They are just one generation out of Egypt. But the very people that God called out of Egypt who saw the plagues, they saw the parting of the Red Sea, they saw that sea cave in on uh, Pharaoh's army, they saw the pillar of fire and the pil pillar of cloud, column of uh, cloud, they saw manna rain from heaven. They saw miracle after miracle and powerful signs of God's presence. And that very same people, in less than a year's time, refused to cross the Jordan because they were afraid. You think, how is that possible? It's, it shouldn't be possible for you and me to be able to even read about this and not trust God. They were right there when these things happened and they didn't trust God. So don't think it can't happen to you. If we have risen above this thin veneer of Christianity and come to meet and know and confess as Lord the risen Christ, what does that look like on Monday morning? Because we're no longer under the law of Moses, but we do have commandments from Christ. Commandments from Christ. We need to know what they are. Meditate in them day and night. Why? So we sleep better? So we feel better about ourselves? No, same reason. So we can do the things he told us to do. I can't say I'm following Christ and not doing what he told me to do, and I can't do what he told me to do if I don't know what he told me to do, and I can't know if I don't read, if I don't study, if I don't listen. 
That's what today and next week are all about, doing the word. And I know I've already said a lot, but let me begin to wrap this up, begin to wrap this up with some specifics. Because as a faith guy, as a word of faith guy, I believe one of the most important ways of doing the word is speaking the word. We touched on it two weeks ago, but just barely. We talked about three different kings and how they faced crises in their life. Remember we looked at King Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Josiah, and how important it was that they responded immediately with what they knew about God. So there we are. What is the first thing? What's the first way you respond when you first encounter bad news? Or good news, for that matter. What comes out of your mouth? What do your prayers sound like? I'm not kidding. I have been in services, church services, prayer meetings, uh, funerals, weddings. And I've heard Christians, people that I know are Christians, stand up and pray a prayer. And I'm like, how can a Christian pray like that? There's nothing scriptural about that prayer. There's no faith in that prayer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? Well, I mean, let alone, they're, they're, of course, you know, I've sat through sermons that made me question whether the preacher was a believer. And then in this age, of course, and here we go again, bear with me, social media. I've whined about it before, and if you, uh, but here, look, if you want to wade into every argument and try to be a witness that way, you can, but it's a mugs game. It's, that's not the most effective use of your time. Meanwhile, uh, people post stuff just for fun and share common interests, and that's fine. But sometimes I read something posted just for fun that makes me think, again, why would a Christian share this or post this? Even worse, and I see it fairly often, is when someone goes on a rant. And it might be coming from a place of genuine pain, fear, whatever. But I'm thinking, man, I know you, and I know you know better than this. Even the language it should be something that distinguishes. I shouldn't look at a post and say, that's not the way a Christian talks. And somebody, if I know it's a Christian. And it's not a matter of being prude. This is a matter of following the commandments of Jesus. Let no coarse or corrupt communication proceed from your mouth. But <laughs> I guess number one, <laughs> I think you know this, but sometimes I wonder if some people don't. You don't have to document your whole life on social media. I would strongly recommend against that. If you want to keep a diary, keep a diary. You know, people used to keep their diaries under lock and key. Maybe take an hour or a day or a week before you post something rather than post it in the heat of the moment. You know, they have people used to tell you, hey, count to ten. Harry Truman, I think it was Harry Truman, told uh, uh, people that he would get so mad at, a, at a, another politician or a businessman or somebody, and he would sit down immediately and write a letter spelling out exactly, I mean, just going on a, a rant. He would write this letter, he would fold it up, put it in an envelope, and stick it in a drawer. He would never mail it. Now, we as believers, never mind offending brothers and sisters, where is your faith? 
Where is your obedience? Instead of cursing the world and exalting every negative thing that comes into your life and the circumstances, why don't you start by actively casting your cares on the Lord? Then, after, this is the part, this is the preview from last week. After you have gone directly to him, then your next step should be to reach out to other believers so that we can stand and pray in agreement with you. Help you. Meditate in it night and day, day and night. goes hand in hand with a, with a, a New Testament verse. It says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All of these commands... Uh, are commands that deal with talking the talk, the importance of saying and otherwise communicating the right things. Rejoice always. In everything, give, give thanks. You know this. You can give thanks in something without giving thanks for something. You can still rejoice in the middle of something you're trying to get out of. You don't need to thank God for trials and tribulations, but you can still thank him in the middle of those things. Pray without ceasing. This is the one I wanted to focus on because this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. From your mouth. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't say shall not depart from your eyes. You shall meditate on it. That word meditate, look it up. Most of you know this. What's it mean? Does it mean think about? Mull over? It means to mutter, to repeat it to say it over and over to yourself. Speak it. You call it muttertating. Psalm 141 verse 3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs 18 verse 20, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, when you're saying the word of God to yourself or to your circumstances, you know, that's what rhema is. People throw that, oh, just need a rhema. I just need a fresh word from the Lord. And what we're picturing is the Holy Spirit saying something brand new to you that you've never heard, maybe nobody's ever heard. That's not what it really means. It's the written word, but you're speaking it. The best definition of rhema is not the written word versus the spoken word. It's the written word spoken. It's powerful. It is alive and powerful. But the reason it doesn't work is because we don't speak it. Or we're kidding ourselves. We'll speak it here. And God is gracious. And God is merciful. And God is kind. But then when we are unassembled and something happens, what do we do? Do we speak the word? Or do we curse it? Do we, do we curse our circumstances? Do we go on a rant and share every negative thing with the world? What is different about us? So when we read, hey, pray without ceasing, and don't let the word depart from your mouth, it means we need to be careful. It's not saying you can't stop talking and you can't sleep. You can't do anything but pray. It's saying, be careful. Uh, you should be getting better and better every day to make sure that your words are not contradicting Scripture. 
just cultivate a consciousness of how much what you say is in agreement with the Word of God. Because remember, that's what confession means. To say together, to agree with, to speak in agreement with. So much, there is so much in the Bible about the power of our tongues and the importance of our words. And the first part of doing the word, the first part of living a steadfast Christian life outside the assembly is speaking the word. We've talked a lot over the years about daily confessions. I've shared with you many times the, the healing confession that I still speak over my body daily. But speak the word over your life, over your family, over your day, over your circumstances, especially perhaps about healing. But make it your aim to speak whatever the Spirit is laying on your heart today. Make it your aim to apply God's word, God's word to every circumstance. Remember two weeks ago we talked about how the Holy Spirit will bring to mind everything that I've taught you. But it's got to be in there. He'll remind you of it. But it's got to be in there. And we get that in there by listening, by meditating, by studying. Check yourself. What happens? Unexpected bills. Unexpected expenses. How do you react? You might feel a moment of panic, but don't give it voice. How am I ever going to pay this? Oh, no. We'll never get out of debt now. No. You got to say something. And you have his word hidden in your heart. What do you say? Thank you, God for supplying all of my needs according to your riches and glory. Speak his word in those circumstances. Uh-oh, you're sick? You got a bad diagnosis? Thank you, God, for healing me. Thank you that the, those stripes have been laid on Jesus to, to purchase my healing. Uh, lack of direction. You're confused. What happened? Uh, you got a little off course. Uh, thank you, Lord, for giving me wisdom in generous amounts. These are all prayers rejoicings, givings of thanks based on God's promises. Praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. This is not about, I'm not kidding, folks. It sounds like, it, it, look, when somebody comes up and asks you, hey, how are you? You know, because of whatever the circumstances are, where you're at, what your relationship is like with this person. Sometimes they really don't want to know how you are. It's just a greeting, right? But they really want to know how you are. Uh, we as believers should be able to be honest with one another, okay? So if there's an issue, we ought to be honest enough to share it. But again, it's one of my favorite practices and our, my whole family gets this. They don't always practice it but like, like Beth and I do, which is if she, if she knows I'm fighting something physical, like I was having some back issues, uh, nothing like the old days, thank God. But I was struggling a little bit in my back uh, a week or so ago, and she would say, how's your back? And what's the answer to that question? You know the answer to that question. Well, I don't know how your back was. How was my back? It was healed. And she said, how you feeling today? That's a different story. It hurts. But I'm not going to go around the house saying, oh, my back hurts. Wow, we hasn't hurt like this in a long time. I can hardly walk. I can hardly sleep. Woo, no. I already know how I feel, and I'm not helping myself with that. Well, I'm going to speak the word over my back. 
and over every circumstance. This is our goal. This, as I started to say, when somebody says, how are you? You don't have to say, who is the guy? I wouldn't tell you if, if I could remember who it was. I just don't remember who it was. He'd always say something, woo, I'm so blessed. I got to keep rocks in my pockets to keep my feet on the ground. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with responding scripturally, but there's also nothing wrong with letting your guard down and showing, hey, look, man, here's what I'm fighting. Here's something you can be in agreement with me. Just don't go into this hole. Don't identify with it. Don't own it. That hurt, that struggle. Remember who you are in Christ, right? This is not super Christianity I'm talking about. I think our failure, our general day-to-day failure to line up our speech, and we'll get into Next week is walk the walk. Today was talk the talk. We'll be getting into other aspects of being like Christ next week. But our failure to line up our speech with the word of God is substandard Christianity. We shouldn't be like that. I think the the standard ought to be. I speak what God, I speak about my circumstances what God speaks about my circumstances. And I, I claim, I know those promises because I read those promises and study those promises. And because I study them, I know them. Because I know them, I say them. And I believe them. How important is it to say what God said about you? Stand up with me. Just how powerful are our words? How important is confession? How important is it to speak in agreement with what God says? Here's a verse for you. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What? There's got to be more to it than that. There is power in the tongue. And there isn't more to it than that. Jesus already did the hard part. He died. He carried your sins to the cross and left them nailed there. All you have to do is believe and what? Confess. Is there anybody who needs to make that confession today? I always kind of knew it. I always kind of thought I believed it. Have you said with your mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord. I believe God raised you from the dead and I am trusting you with saving me. If you've not made that confession or something like it, today's your day. You don't want to walk out of here without that. Ultimately, God's good plan for you is to be in eternity, in heaven, with him. But what what else is he going to do? He's going to allow us to make our way prosperous between here and there. And that's prosperous in every sense of the word. He brings us to a good land and give us a good life. Not an easy life, a good life between now and And when we go to our eternal home, he has a good plan for us. And it starts the day we make him the Lord of our life and receive that gift of salvation. You can try a number of different ways. You can try to find fulfillment and happiness in a million different ways. The devil will supply you with an endless list of pursuits. But you've got to wake up quickly and realize none of these things are filling me. Why? Because that hole, that vacuum in you is Christ-shaped. You can only fill it with him. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to make that decision today, oh, I urge you to. If you haven't made that decision and you don't want to, I still urge you to. 
The only people, there's nobody, the only people who shouldn't be answering this, this altar call are ones who absolutely know for sure they've made that decision already. Don't let anything hold you back. Don't let embarrassment, don't let self-consciousness keep you out of heaven. And all the believers said, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. And that, that that power resides in our mouths and help us to be diligent to speak these things out, to honor you, to honor your word, and to eat the good fruit of the words of our mouth. Thank you, Lord, for your promise of salvation and for everything that Jesus Christ has done for us. It's my prayer right now, and I know it's the prayer of every believer in this room, that if anybody in the sound of my voice, has not made that decision, has not bowed their knee before you and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, that they would recognize their desperate need for salvation now and come into that salvation through confession, through belief, today, in Jesus' name, amen. Come up here and let me pray with you while we sing this song. I'd love to lead you in that prayer of salvation. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, Make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.